When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. Joined again for today's episode by our good friend, Sean Tolson, contributor to Lynx. Read his stuff on lynxmagazine.com. Sean, how you doing? I understand it's snowing up there right now. What's what's going on? I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, it, it's snowing a little bit. Um, it's actually not snowing enough that you probably couldn't go out and play golf through it if you wanted to, but the temperatures would likely make you reconsider. So it's, it's winter here in new England, which means if I want to get rounds of golf in, I typically have to go South, which is um, actually what I did recently, um, which I know is what we're going to talk about. So it's, it's kind of good timing, but, but yeah, no, other than the fact that we're in the middle of winter, which means I'm not playing golf at home. I can't complain. Probably have to switch to the colored golf ball. If you were going to go out there right now, um, to be able to locate it from shot to shot, but Sean, you uh, finagled, you boondoggled, you found a way to get the probably the best, you know, recurring assignment in our issues of links this year. I would say uh, we started a new uh, new piece in the magazine, and it's in each issue about uh, different golf resorts and five reasons to love uh, X golf resorts. So. We're highlighting some resorts that have recently, you know, added amenities or uh, some that you may not be as familiar with that uh, here's five reasons that you should go check out this place. So maybe not the first place that pops into your head when you're thinking, I want to do a bucket list golf trip somewhere, um, or you have a yearly buddies trip and, and you're trying to figure out where to go. Um, so we're going to give you some places that should be on your radar. Uh, and by we, I mean, Sean is, is going to all of these places and, and getting to, you know, live the good life, play some golf, um, and experience these different golf resorts for all they have to offer. Bravo, Sean. I don't, I don't know how you did it, but I'm giving you a round of applause here. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate the applause and, um, I should probably just stay mute on it and just, take the compliment and, and run. But I mean, I, to, in full disclosure, I'm, I'm as baffled by how it came about as, as you are, um, which maybe is a little bit of a stretch, but I guess it's just, you know, years of, of writing travel stories for, for golf publications and lifestyle publications. It, it kind of, it worked out that when the new column was, was proposed and they needed a writer, I was, at the top of what presumably was kind of a short list. And so it was right place, right time, I suppose, but I'm, I'm going to take it. So I'm taking it. <laughs> you have it. Don't worry about it. It's yours. Um, if you've read Sean's stuff on our website and elsewhere, um, you know that he is very, very good, very adept at, at talking about the, uh, the lifestyle uh, of golf travel. And it's been a joy to read his stuff. So uh, continue to check that out. Uh, in the print magazine 
Uh, we start with PGA National, which we're going to get into in this episode. Uh, but before we do, uh, we are lining up and continuing our, our new segment this season on the podcast, uh, our teed up topic of the week. I have prepped Sean this time in our last episode. I, I didn't really prep Joe pass off that well. I just kind of laid it in his lap. So I decided like, Hey, we should probably, I should probably tell Sean in advance what we're, I'm going to do. So he's had a little time to think about an answer here. Uh, we are going to share some reader answers to this. Uh, we, we teed up this topic on our newsletter a few weeks back and got a great number of answers to choose from. But Sean and I will also ch- share ours. Uh, the topic this week is uh, who is in your dream golf foursome, which prompted a number of follow-up questions from Sean, rightly so. Um, does it have to be, can, do they have to be alive? Do they have to be someone who actually plays golf or could it be a fictional character of some kind? Anything goes as far as I'm concerned. If you want to put Bugs Bunny in your foursome, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, this is, this is your dream. So, um, if you could dream up the ultimate round of golf, who would you play with? I'm going to re- choose this time. We're going to, let's go ahead and give our answers. Then I'll choose some reader answers to share. Um, so without further ado, Sean, who makes up your dream golf foursome? Okay. Now, just before I share the names, do you want any explanation as to why they were chosen? Or do you want me to just list them off and let it be that? No, I think there, there should be some explanation. Yeah. That, we didn't get explanation from everyone who answered um, from the newsletter, but uh, a lot of people did choose to explain themselves. And I think those were better quality answers for sure. Um, so I'd like to understand your reasoning a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I can't make any promises that it'll improve the quality, but I will certainly explain. Um, so number one for me was Arnold Palmer. And in part because I, as a golf writer, have had the good fortune of being able to spend a little bit of time with a few of the the legends of the game. Uh, But Arnold was somebody that I never really had a chance to meet. And anybody that I have met uh, in my profession who has had the chance to, or in the past had the chance to to meet Arnold, uh, was just so taken aback by him. He... um, and everything that you hear about other people um, and their experiences with Arnold Palmer, I just say that, you know, he was so gracious and, and honest uh, and authentic. Right. Um, And, and a lot of people have said that the time that they spent with him was so impactful and profound that I feel like not even factoring in the fact that he was one of the game's greatest players and to be able to play a round of golf and watch him play a round of golf in, in the flesh with me, taking all that aside, just to get four hours or so to spend with the man, I think would be amazing. So, and then you factor in the fact that he was such a, a brilliant player and like, that's, that's an easy choice. So Arnold is number one for me. Um, Walter Hagen would be number two. Um, And again, it kind of goes back to the reputation that he had as a player. Um, You know, obviously you hear plenty of stories about him being kind of like the, well, he was the first professional golfer, right? Who kind of found a way to, to, to make a, a really good living out of playing golf. But 
but more so than that for me it's it's sort of the stories that I've heard about how he was such a good golfer for letting the bad shots go and and being able to have a brilliant hole with one recovery shot and I kind of feel like for me to be able to play around the golf with Walter Hagen and sort of watch that right I think would be mesmerizing to see him string together three bad shots on a par five and hit one brilliant one and still walk off the green with a with a par I think it's it would be uh it would be good a good reminder that you don't have to play the game perfectly to play it well and that perfect golf is really something you shouldn't shoot for because it's unattainable so walter would be number two and then the third one for me would be bill marty uh and i mean obviously you he's 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 a very accomplished golfer in his own right he's he's quite good and and i feel like adding some levity to that to that group would be what maybe what's needed um and he's somebody also that I've, I've always sort of thought it would be probably a lot of fun to be able to tag along and play around a golf with him. You know, it's never happened for me, you know, professionally, obviously, or he wouldn't be on my list, but I, I know that other golf writers, I think have had that opportunity. And, and especially when you hear that he in filming Caddyshack that I don't I can't remember what the percentage was of the scenes he's in is all ad-libbed. You kind of feel like, you know, he's going to have the ability to just roll with the punches for 18 holes on the golf course. And I feel like, you know, if, if nothing else around the golf with people that you're playing with, whether you know them or you don't, it should be, uh, should be fun first and foremost. And I have a, I have a feeling that that bill would be one of those guys that would, that would bring fun into it, no matter how he or anybody else was playing. So he rounds out the, the, the third for my, my dream foursome. See, much better with having that, you know, color behind those answers, I think, than if you just rattled those off and be like, oh, okay, great, sure. But I, I like point. hearing that. I, I know that both of uh, Bill Murray and and certainly Arnold Palmer's names both showed up on our, our list of reader answers. I don't remember seeing Walter Hagen in there. I'd have to look, sift back through and and see. That one might be unique to you. So it's a good choice on your end. So for me... Uh, funny enough, this may come as a surprise or no surprise to anyone. I also put Arnold Palmer on my list. Uh, the The reasons are a little bit different uh, because of the second person on my list, which would be my late grandfather, my mom's dad, who really has a lot to do with my passion and interest in golf. Um, he was a, a big golfer himself, and I, I grew up him. Every time I'd go visit my grandparents, he'd take me out to play. And he lived in Greensboro. He was actually the chairman of the what was at the GGO at the time. It's it's now the Wyndham that they play at Sedgefield. Um, it was the Greater Greensboro Open at the time. I, I believe it was 1977. He was the chairman, and we have this great picture in our house that he kept over the years and was passed down to me of him on the first tee as doing his chairman duties uh must have been first or last one of, one of the tournament days but it's it's him standing next to arnold palmer and arnold palmer was always his favorite golfer so i know that moment for him had to be just thrilling he looks very very serious and very you know 
official doing whatever he's doing, but I'm, I'm sure inside he was probably freaking out because it's like, this is it. This is the moment with Arnie and, and somebody happened to get a, a picture too. So that, that was special. I'd love to, you know, have both of them together in a round and just, I, I don't know what their relationship was actually like. Maybe they were uh, more acquainted than, than I realized. Um, but I just kind of like to see their rapport together. My, my granddad was a really, really funny guy. I really loved the game of golf. Um, so to be able to play again with him would be, would be really fantastic. Um, and the last person to, to go in there, he's a big golfer himself. Personally, that a lot of interest from my end uh, would be Roy Williams, former uh, Hall of Fame head basketball coach at North Carolina. I'm an alumnus. I think I've mentioned that one or two times on the podcast. So being able to play with Roy and just pick his brain about his years winning national championships at Carolina and doing what he does best on the basketball court, but also, you know, he's played Pine Valley, you know, dozens of times. And uh, I want to say I read somewhere he shot, maybe shot under par there, which is kind of remarkable too. So I know he's got some skill. I'd love to add him into the mix. Uh, I know my granddad was a, good, a big Carolina fan too. So that'd probably be a nice, nice thrill for him as well. But uh, that I think would make for a, a fun group on my end. So sorry, dad and my brother-in-law, you guys can play in the group behind us, I guess. Uh, but are you, are you, are you, are you putting them with coach K? He's not part of this dream. Unfortunately, <laughs> if it was the, uh, nightmare golf foursome, maybe he would make it in there, but, uh, no, that it's tough. Like, like we talked about, it was really tough to nail this down to, you know, it's not, it's actually just three people. I mean, you think of foursome, you're like, all right, like who'd be the fourth, but you have to count yourself in there. So, um, just choosing three from the, the lexicon of, anyone in the entire universe living or dead is, is, you know, until you get to that ledge, you don't realize how hard it is to make that decision. Um, true. To pick That's true. I, I will tell you, uh, and like, I got to a point, I almost got down the rabbit hole of, of over analysis to where then I wouldn't have been able to even come up with three. Uh, and I say that because um, I've been reminded recently about how a good round of golf is so much about, people that you're playing with and the rapport that exists amongst those players and yourself. And so initially, as I started to think about this, I was not only thinking about people that I'd want to play with, but then also how I imagined that their personalities would gel with one another. And, and that's asking for trouble when you're really trying to, you know, go down with that much specificity. So I had to I had to step back from that because at some point then it's like all right well you know you're also you're also then asking yourself to sort of assume what these people's personalities are if you've never had a chance to meet them and so it just it quickly would have become an impossible task and because I would have been making it even harder than it already was I don't know how difficult it was for people uh, who who chimed in their answers here, but let's run few, few, let's run through a few of those. Uh, hard getting that out of my mouth for some reason. So Tim wrote in kind of funny. If Jesus can't make it, 
I would choose Jack, Arnie, and Fred Couples. Thought that was a good answer. I uh, got another guy mentions the big three. You know that seemed to show up a lot. Uh, Tiger worked his way in there with Jack and Arnie and several answers. Um, let's see here. Bill writes Lee Trevino and Peter Jacobson because golf is supposed to be fun, isn't it? And then Ernie Els because I would love the opportunity to spend four hours watching my favorite golf swing. And Bill actually added a, a fourth in there, so he made his a five some, um, and he added. Brian Kelly, go Irish. I guess that didn't really uh, age well now because, <laughs> because his coach uh, abandoned ship. I wonder if Bill would change his answer uh, given that there's not a, or there's a new head football coach at Notre Dame these days. Continuing on, we have uh, David writes, one obvious choice, Arnold Palmer. One more contemporary choice, David Faraday, to provide good feelings for the day. And one personal choice, my uncle Art, who introduced me to the game when I was eight years old and initiated what is now a nearly 60-year love affair with golf. I like that one. That one that one kind of reminds me of my answer a little bit. And, and yours a little bit. Well, and what's interesting is that he says David Faraday. I was torn between Faraday or Bill Murray for the levity component of my group as well. So... I, I know exactly where he's coming from with that one. Uh, Ed writes, as a left-handed golfer, I would pick Bubba Watson and Phil Mickelson. Their short game and ability to shape the ball is some of the best golf that has. And uh, it's a tough read on some of these. That there, ha <laughs> that there has been an Ed, and I will ever will see. And to round out my foursome, I would pick Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish because why not? And Darius is a huge golfer, so Ed, there's actually a real chance that your foursome is all three current living golfers. Uh, so, you know, Bubba, Phil, Darius, if you're listening out there, there's a guy named Ed I'd like to introduce you to. Um, I'll now, give you... Now, is, is Darius left-handed? You know, I don't know. Because it would be amazing to see a foursome of all left-handed players. I wonder, I mean, I'm sure that's happened at some point. There's got to be like a society of left-handed golfers out there somewhere, a bunch of guys bonding over uh, being Southpaws, I would think. Might have to do bonding, some research into that. Bonding over not never having quite the same selection of equipment. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Tough, tough sledding. That was always one of my best friends growing up was a lefty, and it was always uh, much harder for him to find anything. Um, and let's see, I'll give you, I'll give you two more. Actually, there's a, a, another Ed who writes in Lee Elder, the late Lee Elder, Tiger Woods and Annika Sorenstam along with me taking notes and listening. So sounds like Ed just wants to be a, you know, bystander. Maybe he can actually throw in a fourth and make it a dream golf force and that he just watches play golf. I guess that's another wrinkle of this one. I hadn't considered that someone may think who would be the ultimate foursome. I would want to watch play rather right, than, rather right. than playing with. It's the, um, it's the dream for caddy experience, right? Yeah, exactly. And just interacting and have no, like, you don't get to embarrass yourself by <laughs> trying to, to compete with some of these people. So, um, Ed, Ed, you're onto something there. All right, and the last one I will read here. Uh, 
uh, no doubt that it would be my son, my grandson, and I would want them to meet Arnold Palmer. I believe that 18 holes with Mr. Palmer would be so enlightening for them and for myself for years to come. That was from Richard. Um, so Arnold Palmer, popular guy. Who would have thought, right? I say that sarcastically also. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you're, yes, for sure, sarcastically. But, but also, to be honest, maybe a little bit of truth in that. Because um, as I first started thinking about golfers and names and, and candidates from my own list, he wasn't the first one that I thought of. But then, of course, once I thought of him, I thought, well, yeah, no, that's a no-brainer. And so then he became certainly number one on the list, and I, and I worked down from there. But, um, but I perhaps am, am ashamed to admit that as much as he is my number one on the list, he wasn't the first name to come to mind. But he made the list nonetheless, so don't, don't beat yourself up too All much. Right. All right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's get to our conversation uh, with Sean about a place that he just got back from literally yesterday. Uh, and that is down in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. PGA National is the resort we're talking about today. Um, again, Sean, uh, for our winter issues, highlighting PGA National uh, in our five reasons to love section of the magazine. PGA National, as many of you know, former Ryder Cup venue, uh, annual host of the Honda Classic on the PGA Tour, uh, the champion course there, uh, the Bear Trap. You may have heard that uh, quite challenging three-hole stretch of holes. We have a, a piece on our website actually about famous three-hole stretches. That's a good read in case you want to read about others kind of like that. But they just underwent a uh, an extensive $100 million plus dollar, Sean, you called it renovation or transformation. How, how, how would you put that? Uh, it took about 14 months, and they have uh, pretty much overhauled everything there from what I understand. But yeah. Um, I'll let, let you kind of get into it more. Uh, I know this wasn't your first time there. Um, so maybe can you give me your, your first impressions of the place and, and now seeing it again after this um, reimagination, uh, what, what kind of stuck out first when you got there? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, so my first visit to the resort happened in November of 2017. And um, I would say first impressions First impressions was that as you're driving in, all of your road signs, all of your signage for other sort of properties uh, kind of leading into the resort itself, it's everything is named after golf in some way. And so it's one of those places where as you're driving in, even before you get to the resort, you're, you kind of, if you're looking around and paying attention, you, you can, you certainly feel like you're driving into uh, sort of like the nucleus of, of great American golf. And so when I arrived at the resort 
for a little over four years ago. Um, it was exciting for all of those reasons uh, and kind of knowing that you're at sort of one of these sort of like foundational uh, properties for American golf or certainly uh, a place that has been a, you know, for the last 40 or 50 years, let's say, but it also, and not that this was an immediate impression of mine, but over the few days that I was there four years ago, you did get the feeling that it was a little bit dated, right? And that it, it you know, not, not the courses themselves, but, but the resort overall, the, the infrastructure, the food and beverage, the rooms, it, it all felt like it, it kind of was in need of uh, a bit of, sort of polishing or, or a fresh kind of new, new take on it. Um, and that's exactly what they have done uh, recently with this. It is a renovation, but it is also a transformation. I think either word uh, you can you can use to describe it, and no one would say that you're you're wrong. Every every guest room and suite was was completely overhauled, as were all the food and beverage offerings. Uh, basically, any of like the public spaces where you would either entertain. Um, or even just sort of hang out as a guest uh, were all completely completely redone. And they were redone in a way that's sort of been described either as mid-century Americana or as sort of 1960s Palm Beach chic. And, um, and it really is, it, 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 they've, they've done a very good job of, of doing just that. I remember when I walked into my, my guest room uh, and it was just a standard, king bed resort view room so it was probably one of the entry level rooms and i walked in and and it was almost like even though i knew what was coming because i had done some some research and some interviews and i'd written the story i had already you know i i had a heads up that i kind of knew what was on the other side of that door that i was opening but yeah when i opened the door it was still this brief moment of where am i how is this possible um, because it does feel like you've kind of walked through this, this time warp, this, this transportal that kind of brought you back, you know, almost 60 years. Um, and it's just that they have in bringing in the furnishings or building the furnishings from the ground up. I'm not even quite sure if they, if they were, if the furnishings, for example, were, uh, true antiques, uh, classic pieces that they've just restored, or if they were new pieces that were just built to, to look like this style. But um, it really does make you feel like you've, you've stepped into the mid to late 1960s. But that's not to say that the rooms weren't incredibly comfortable. So, like, so they, they were able to, to, to do both, which was impressive. The, the, only, the only thing that left me wondering is if in in five years, 10 years time, is this going to still be as novel and successful as it is right now? Um, only time will tell, but I, but I can say that for right now, especially for anybody who has, has experienced the resort in the past, to go back and to see what they've done, um, it is impressive. What makes it sort of a place that I think a lot of people should consider is that it checks a lot of boxes from from a golf standpoint you now have 
six different golf courses to play. That that includes a, a new nine hole course, um, but they've taken one of the 18s and turned it into two courses. So they made an 18 hole course. that's a little shorter, about 5,800 yards uh, called the match. And then they've taken a, two holes from that former course. What was the Squire course and turned that into a nine hole figure eight routing called the staple. Have you played all the courses now at PGA national Sean, including those, those two new ones. So I haven't, um, when I was there, uh, four years ago, I had the ability to play two of the courses. Uh, I played the champion course, which hosts the Honda classic every, every February. And I, at the time in 2017, um, ironically, going back to our initial um, conversation uh, on this podcast about dream foursomes, I was actually there in 2017 for the grand reopening of the Palmer course, uh, which had been uh, sort of redesigned by uh, Arnold Palmer's design company, um, kind of bringing it back, I think, to what it had intended to be and and obviously over the decades since it had been built, I want to say it was built in the originally in the mid eighties and it had kind of just, it had changed enough that it needed to kind of a, uh, a re a reformatting to kind of bring it back. And so that was what brought me to the resort in 2017 was to see that course unveiled. Um, and then this time around, it was really to experience the match course and the staple course, which is the name of the, the short course. Uh, and then it allowed me also to get a do-over on the champion course, which I, from the moment I finished that round back in 2017, I was chomping at the bit to want to play again because, well, two things happened in 2017. One, um, I, I didn't play well. And two, the course didn't give me any, any reprieve, right? It didn't. My game being off that day uh, did not benefit from any nice bounces or or favorable lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is one of those courses where I think if you if your game is is sort of if you're in in your, in a good zone with your swing and you can you kind of placing the ball more or less where you want to, it's a golf course that you can play well. But if things are going awry, the course is not going to give you. It's not going to treat you well and give you any favorable kicks right to to then allow you to, to potentially scramble and feel good about yourself like if your game is off that's not the course where you want to play so um, needless to say my round in 2017 uh, left a lot to be desired so I was I was very happy to get out there and to get another crack at it just to sort of see if I uh, I couldn't couldn't um, what's the word uh, redeem myself. So, mm-hmm. so those, those, so to answer your question, I guess there are still three or four courses um, at the resort that I haven't had a chance to experience yet. All the more reason to go back now that you have a little bit of experience uh, with everything else there that the resort has to offer. Before we get into that, just quickly, uh, tell me how you did on the the bear trap. So this time around, it was it was actually really good. I I I got through the bear trap one under par. Come on, yeah, All right, yeah. And I'm and I'm glad you asked. And I I only wish that 
listeners would believe me when I said that we didn't talk about this privately ahead of time so that you could ask. Um, it's just, it's but true. yeah, like I, it's one of those things I, I wasn't going to mention because you don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to, <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, like I'm still an amateur golfer and I'm, I had my good days, I had my bad days. So you don't want to be the guy who's, who's telling anybody who will listen about his one under par on the bear trap, but I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. So I could actually share. Yeah. Well, now you've got something to hold over the pros next time you watch the Honda Classic. Oh, yeah. See, see, can't I hit I, it there, you know? See, I, I wish I could say that. I wish I could, I could agree with you, but, um, but at least on the 17th hole, they definitely had the tees up, I think, because we're only a month away from the Honda Classic. So I think that they are trying to make sure that they're keeping some aspects of the course as pristine as possible or making sure that they will get to be as pristine as possible when the tournament starts. So for that, for that hole for 17, they had every tee from the, from the blacks all the way up to whatever the very forward tees are. They were all on one of the, the, I think I had like 130 some odd yards. So it wasn't that tee box wasn't back where it would be. And also the wind, you know, like, like the, the big defense of that course is the wind like when the when the wind is blowing that course becomes really challenging and on windy years the honda classic has proven that where the the winning score is only going to be in the mid to you know it might be five or six or seven under par after four days which for the best in the world that's obviously that's that's a uh, a fairly high score for them mm-hmm. for four days of golf so um the day i played uh, this most recent trip, the wind was not really blowing. So, so I, I appreciate you saying that oh, I can sit back and say, like, you know, feel like I had, I maybe had a better run at those three holes than some of the pros next month. But if it's windy, I, I'm again, it's going to be one of those things where I know to keep my mouth shut because they're very, very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess with, with a grain of salt, sure. But I, I still think you got, you got something to be proud of there and, well, thank you. I, I wouldn't hesitate to, to brag to my buddies about what's going on. All right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Now that you've seen before and after they've added these two new courses, what, what do the match and the staple really add to that place? I think what it, what it did, what, what both courses did uh, really successfully is um, provide a venue where avid golfers can go and just enjoy playing golf right where they can because the match course is it's only 5800 yards from the very backs um but there aren't tee boxes uh, there's there are there are sort of outlined tee areas and it, it'll be and it's really just the back of the teeing grounds is marked with sort of like a, um, like a Marine pile, like a, like a dock kind of pile in a way. Um, and then the same thing uh, at the very forward part of the teeing area is, is marked off with something similar. And the idea of the course is that you can tee up anywhere in between. And it was designed specifically to, to uh, for non-stroke play, uh, golf matches amongst friends or buddies. And the idea is that whoever wins the first hole 
and then on the next hole chooses where they start from. And then it continues that way all the way through 18 holes. Um, so it introduces a bit of strategy and fun that way in terms of when you get to choose where you're, where you're, you and your buddies are teeing off for, for that match on that hole, you know, you can, you can pick your shots that are going to work well for you, or you can be thinking about what's going to probably be hard for your buddies. And so it introduces sort of like that match play, um, Ryder cup kind of feel to it. But beyond that, you know, none of the holes have any kind of a par associated with them. You know, like the course hasn't been rated. It won't be rated, uh, at least not in terms of, you know, slope and course rating and all that, because uh, it really was designed from the very beginning to just be a course you go out and play matches with. And so it offers you a lot of flexibility for you and your buddies to decide what that match is going to be and how it's going to look and where you're going to play from and, and all of that. Um, and so to have a, a course that really kind of has so few parameters around it in terms of what your golfing experience is going to be for those next 18 holes um, is a lot of fun, but it's very different than what so many of us, all of us probably really know and have come to sort of think of when it comes to playing golf. So it, I think the first round on the match for anybody is going to require a bit of a, like a feeling out process, right? I think it's one of those courses you hear it so often. I mean, we even just talked about it with the champion course where, you know, the, the second round can sometimes be a, a, a much different experience than the first. I think the same is true for the match course, but not because it's so difficult or so challenging and you need to have all this course knowledge but more because I think it's just, it's going to take a round on it played the way that it's suggested and was meant to be played to, to then kind of wrap your, your head around understanding, Oh, this is what, this is what golf can be on this course. And it's kind of a reminder of what golf can be on any course if you wanted to make it that way. So I think that's really what makes the match course so successful. And then sort of by extension, the, the staple course, the short course, um, is the same way where, you know, they have your, your team ground is sort of marked by a, an Adirondack chair. Um, but at the same time, you're free to kind of pick your spot where you want to tee up if you want to have a slightly different challenge. And so on one of the holes, um, not far away from the teeing box, there was sort of like a large fairway bunker with some, some fescue grasses and other things that were kind of not in the way, but, but certainly not what you would sort of look at and say, that's a ideal place to hit a tee shot from, but we all decided, we looked at each other and said, all right, well, let's, let's hit that dreaded 50 yard, you know, bunker shot as our tee shot, which, you know, to make it even harder, there's a small little Creek that's running in between that tee ground and the, and the green. So it was, you know, it was, it was all of us saying, yeah, let's take this on and let's just see who can, who can hit the best shot and have bragging rights. And it's and really nothing more than that. And so having that creativity and that flexibility and independence to, to make your round of golf, whatever you want it to be, I think is going to be really, really good for, for the game. And it, the more that people experience those courses and play them, hopefully it becomes the catalyst to start a new trend where there are more golf courses at resorts that are built like that. Because that's really, I think, what's going to make more people want to play 
is having a, a venue like that that allows them to just have fun and not worry about are they doing it? Are they are they playing the course the way they're supposed to? Yeah, it looks from all accounts, looks like Andy Staples did a very good job of, you know, really exercising some creativity. I know on the, the staple course it's a lot of templates, so a lot of familiar looking holes out there. There's a several good images Evan Schiller took, one of our great photographers for the magazine, uh, of the, both of those courses. Just a, a new twist on some some familiar stuff, but but also um, it's it could be an interesting exercise. I know you, you mentioned, you know, maybe people will pay attention to the way they reformatted an 18 hole course into two completely unique experiences that aren't just another, just adding another 18 for the sake of having an, another course. Um, of course, PGA national has five courses, had five courses to work with before that. Um, so the ability to take the Tom and George Fazio design and turn it into an 18 hole and a nine hole course, it is, it's unique and I'm glad you got the chance to experience it, Sean. It sounds like a, a really fun exercise, a really fun way to, to play the game. Now, just be before we go, I, I wanted to get your opinion of things off the golf course. So just kind of the, the highlights, how, how was the food? What were your favorite amenities uh, at PGA national resort and spa? I know they, updated rejuvenated their fitness center and spa and you've got spa right in the title so i'm sure it was a good one uh but just some of what were your favorite things there outside of golf yeah i mean i'm gonna have to say that and this might make listeners not not be as jealous of me as as you kind of suggested they should be at the beginning of this um, i'm, hyping, I'm I, hyping you up man. you gonna, are you are but putting you but, but uh, but there was no, there was no spa time for me on this trip, um, and my itinerary actually got changed a little bit due to travel uh, weather related travel delays and such. So um, I got in six hours later than I was supposed to on the first day, and so my my second day became very packed with um, a lot of golf, which was fine by me. But it, it meant that I didn't get a chance maybe to get around and to see as much of uh the resort as um i would have liked to although i believe that they are still finalizing and, and finishing the spa anyway so you know that probably wasn't going to be in the cards for me one way or the other but i think that the the food and beverage offerings at the resort are are going to be something that guests are really going to take note of um, and be impressed by the the flagship restaurant there is it's called the Butcher's Club, and it's a, um, as the name might suggest, it's a high-end um, steakhouse concept that was uh, sort of the vision of Jeremy Ford, who is a Floridian native and the winner of uh, Top Chef uh, back season thirteen, which uh, wrapped up in twenty sixteen. So, um, so he's sort of at the 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 top of the. Uh, of the masthead there for for that restaurant, um, kind of creating a a new, if not not to say whimsical take on on a steakhouse, but just sort of a classic steakhouse fare, but with a more with more creative 
interpretations, um, whether it's even just in the presentation of things or, you know, how some classic flavors are introduced to a dish. It was, um, you know, he's, it's all, it's all your, your desirable and attractive steakhouse flavors, but presented in ways maybe that diners aren't going to necessarily expect, um, which makes it fun. And again, it's like, it's, that's maybe kind of the, the culinary equivalent of what they've done for golf with the, the staple and the match course. So that's, that's a, a big, a big draw. And uh, similarly, similarly, they have another restaurant called Honeybell, uh, which is going to be maybe a little bit more of a casual eatery. And that's being spearheaded by another uh, top chef contestant, uh, Lindsay Autry. So they brought in two top chef contestants, one of whom is a winner uh, overall to kind of really change up their, their main uh, restaurant offerings. And then they have Birdie's Diner, which is kind of like your, your go-to breakfast spot uh, and maybe lunch spot as well. Um, and it's, it is that 1960s Americana diner um, in aesthetic, like, like through and through, like it's one of those things where if you, if you don't do a double take when you walk into your guest room, which you will, because there's no way you can't, uh, you'll definitely do a double take when you walk into this diner. And the diner is sort of the, the place you have to almost sort of walk through to get out to the, the pro shop from the resort or back from the pro shop. So you're kind of always going to be kind of walking through that space. Um, and the one thing I will say that I had at Birdie's that I can't recommend highly enough. Uh, they have a, a short list of boozy milkshakes. And, uh, and the one I had, which was uh, vanilla ice cream with some Oreos and some Irish whiskey. There may have been one other thing in there. Um, it was really, really good. Um, so even if you get off the champion course and the course handed you your lunch, there's a boozy milkshake that will help ease the pain. Very good. All right, Sean, I appreciate you giving me the rundown. For those of you who uh, need a reference, Palm Beach Gardens, about an hour north of Miami, so pretty easy to get to and uh, pretty good weather all year round uh, if, if you like warm and sunny. So I think this is a good place to put on people's radar and Sean will continue to do that kind of thing all year. Uh, we're going to follow this up with another conversation uh, on his next spot that he visited uh, for the spring issue. Uh, spoiler alert, that's Horseshoe Bay in Texas. Um, but that will be saved for another episode for now. I will say goodbye to Sean and thank you again, sir, for everything you do. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Until next time.